Good afternoon and welcome to Tokyo on Fire. Today is April 17th. Today's burning issue is revisionism of Japan's textbooks. I'm joined by colleagues Michael Chuchek and Dr. Nancy Snow. Michael Chuchek is adjunct professor at Sofia University and teaching political science. He is also at Temple University, where he is adjunct fellow. Dr. Nancy Snow is adjunct fellow at Keio University. She is currently under an Abe Fellowship. She is writing a book on Japan's national branding. Welcome today. Thank you. Thank you. Today's burning issue is revisionism of Japanese textbooks. It's a burning issue today because it consists of a lot of aspects for Japanese politics internally and externally. The Prime Minister will be traveling to Washington, D.C. in several weeks. Uh, the 70th anniversary of the end of the Pacific War is quickly approaching. And so a lot of the things that the Japanese are doing, the way the, the government is being run, the way um, policies are being implemented, especially at this particularly delicate time, uh, carry a lot of impact and a lot of signals for people who live here, with people who are doing business here, with foreigners who have international uh, relations with Japan. So first of all, I'd like to just open it up with my colleagues and find out what is the hot issue within the context of the revisionism of Japanese textbooks that grabs you most. Michael? What's grabbing me most right now is the transformation of the role of diplomats. Previously, diplomats were supposed to be diplomatic. They were supposed to make things smoother and easier. But now, under the Abe administration, we have a transformation of the actions of the nation's diplomats so that they're now enforcers of the Japanese view of, of the world. In the case of textbooks, these revisions of textbooks and the requests for revisions of textbooks of other countries these are, you know, these are very invasive and very, very uh, abrupt decisions. This is really not what diplomats are good at. But mm -hmm. instead, what, what we're seeing is the Japanese government is having its diplomats, diplomats overseas go and ask publishers, ask authors to change the, what they've written in their books, in, te in textbooks in other countries. And here, uh, it's just become very, very damaging to morale in the ministry, and the ministry is the representative of the country mm -hmm. overseas. And we're going to have to figure out something that balances the, the, the image of the diplomat with this new rule or this new set of rules regarding what is true history and what isn't mm -hmm. that I, I, I just don't see how it's going to work out. That sure seems like a little bit of overreaching. But let's talk about the history later. Nancy, what do you have on, on your radar? Well, my radar, just to piggyback follow from what Michael was saying, in the book that I'm doing on Nation Brand Japan, it requires that I talk to a lot of people, of course, primarily in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It's my impression when I've met with people, and they don't really have to come out and say this. These are the diplomats. Uh, that they are having to spend an inordinate amount of time sort of putting out these internal fires, much less dealing with mm -hmm. this externally. So you could try to put, put the textbook issue in a box, but it has so many ramifications beyond that. And it's really just tearing them away from their primary role and function, which again, as Michael said, is to help to smooth the path of improving Japan's foreign relations in right. the world. How is this doing that when you've got people showing up at your door as a scholar 
that would just be mind-boggling to mm -hmm. me. I think this is rather unprecedented. I don't think a lot of countries engage in tactics like that. And I don't think this is something that these diplomats who are highly skilled, highly trained, are prepared or wish to be doing. Again, mm -hmm. they don't have to be so explicit about it. It's just my overall impression. There's so much good that Japan could be doing rather than getting into what becomes a no-win situation and basically a PR mm -hmm. debacle for the government in the end. Well, here's my hot button on this particular issue. Um, it seems to me that uh, approaching the 70th uh, anniversary of the end of the, the Pacific War, that Japan is at a crossroads. It, it can really do something uh, magnificent. It, it's done this in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to me with this heavy-handed approach on on redefining or limiting the discussion on what happened in reality or what the majority of scholars um, say about what happened, particularly with, with uh, the Pacific War, um, has a chilling effect. And uh, you can talk to many students nowadays that don't really know the full impact, the full story of what happened in, in the Pacific War. And they, they travel to Korea and they come back and they say, why do, why do people dislike me so much? Why, do, why, why did I get such mm. a bad reception? And this, this chilling effect has other implications throughout the rest of Japanese politics, the, the secrecy law, for example, or the fact that certain criticisms have been voiced recently, and uh, the thing with NHK and, and Asahi, uh, that, that's really a current hot topic uh, now. But anyway, we'll, we'll get into those later, but that's what's on my radar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'd like to talk about the incredible history of the textbook issue. This goes back to... Um, even when the, the Constitution was being drafted, they passed the Constitution, they had, a, they had a, a national referendum, and from that point on, this textbook issue was a hot-button issue. Yeah, but you can, you can trace the, the roots of it right back all the way to the establishment of this modern Japanese uh, state that we have. But it really took off uh, in over the, the process that the, the Ministry of Education has for checking textbooks. Mm -hmm. Now, it rather, there's this, there's this weird division in that local jurisdictions, the prefectures, the municipalities, should have the freedom to choose whatever they teach. They have their own, there are boards of education on the local level all over the place, and they should be able to choose fairly freely textbooks that are made by various companies. Mm. And that was sort of the, the concept. Now, in the 1960s, there was a very famous case with a man named Ienaga Saburo who wrote a textbook, and then this textbook was rejected by the national Monbusho. And he filed a lawsuit that went on for decades and decades, saying that it's a suppression of freedom of speech, it is a suppression of the ability of people to choose what kind of, what version of history that they're going to be taught. There is a process where the, the Ministry of Education okays every kind of textbook that it's is a screening. It's, it's a, a screening, screening process. process. Right. And uh, in up until fairly recently, it was pretty contentious because publishers would present all kinds of different books. And they would get all this long list of revisions from, the, from inside the Monbusho, and they would say, you have to put these revisions in. And, it, and there would be all kinds of different changes. In this last reiteration 
of this process, which started in January, because January is when they announced what the new this year's regulations were. Virtually all the textbooks that were produced passed right off the mm -hmm. bat. Only two out of hundreds of different books uh, did not pass. So whereas in the past there was a contentious process, now it's a pretty much a one-way street. Everybody's on message and understands what the government wants. And so this textbook issue is both domestic and foreign. On the domestic side, which is the one I'm on, only one I'm talking about, the, the fear in, in general society, in newspapers, in magazines, you see the commentaries, is that how is it, first of all, that everybody's on message? Mm -hmm. And secondly, mm -hmm. how is it that the Momo Show has such incredible power mm. to decide what truth is and what is not? Now, true. You know, the it is a government institution. The education system is... It's a centrally controlled government. It's a centrally controlled government. You know, why doesn't it have the right to tell its own story? Right. Right? But, you know, average citizens will say, yeah, but the government's not the only actor in this. And it's not the only person with a story. The individuals within the country have a story. Uh, how are these going to be reflected mm -hmm. in, this, in this grand narrative? And under the screening process, especially under the screening process that is now developed and the way that the publishing companies have become absorbed into it, there aren't that many new voices. Well, everybody wants to sell their textbook. And if they're given the guidelines, and these are, and, and in fact, what are we talking about? We're talking about the history textbook, and we're talking about yeah, they're not talking social about science. studies. We're not talking science textbooks exactly. or math textbooks. And, no. and this is this this is the whole the whole ball of wax here. Right. Uh, what is Japan history? Where did we come from as Japanese? Um, who touched the water and, and the nation was born? Right. Where does the emperor come from, and how does he how does his power emanate? Mm -hmm. Stuff right. like that. Right. Really good, important stuff. And I think the critical issue here is who decides and who defines that? Because if you can get into the minds of children, you can create. This, this narrative, and I think that that's really what the fear is. Well, and it's also, but that's also an ideology of, of the, the ruling party, and that, that what has happened is, is that communists through the, the Japan Teachers Association have taken over the education of Japan, and we've had a masochistic view of history, right. which has put Japan down, and that there's, we are not a noble people. We are a, an aggressive, terrible people that did terrible things in Asia. Mm -hmm. And why are we teaching middle school students about the, the, their biggest bugaboo, the comfort women, right. and the, sexual, the system of sexual slavery that provided frontline troops with prostitutes and brothels that were completely and, and totally under the management of the military itself. This system, why are we talking about it to children 12 to thir 12, 13 years of age? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's a reasonable question there, but it's become much more than reasonable. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an ideological position, and it's a sense that, yes, if we can, it, this is really true. You know, if we, if we get the kids early and get them taught about the right history, They'll be patriots. They'll yes. be willing to, to die for their country. They'll be doing to, ready to do the things that normal citizens in other countries do. Mm -hmm. And it's that def definition of what normal citizens in other countries that is so fraught. Here's a contradiction, though, and that is you've got on the one hand maybe the need to have more patriotic kids. I get it, in Japan. On the other hand, though, you've got this big push toward globalization, toward raising Japan's image, reputation, profile in the world. So 
how can you have it both ways? Because when these kids grow up and they go global, which is promoted here, then they're going to be confronted with a different narrative. History is always going to be a battle of narratives. Mm -hmm. And it changes over time. At one time, how did people view the emperor here in terms of the emperor's origins? Mm -hmm. A sun god, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that was realistic. Probably the average person on the street now is not going to make that connection because history is dynamic in the, in the way that we view who we are as a people. And it, it's just, it's going to be a problem to have it both ways because it's almost like the young people are being sort of protected with this yeah. careful point of view and we've done nothing wrong to an extreme. And then again, when you travel internationally, that's one of the first experiences you have when you come from a country, like I do, coming from the United States, where a lot of people are not crazy about US foreign policy and they're gonna let you know it because you become the face of that country. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is an awakening. It is. It happens to everyone if you come from certain countries outside mm. of maybe Canada or Switzerland. <laughs> and that, and the weird but thing it's is, it's going to happen to Japanese people. I think it happens all the time. Yeah. But that, that's and that brings up the second aspect of it. In order to smooth their passage, to make things better overseas, so that they're not confronted by other narratives, the government is having its. Well, first it was actually member members of the political parties. Uh, that would go overseas and try to pressure uh, local governments in, in the United States, elsewhere, to change the way that Japan is depicted in their communities. Mm -hmm. And now Japan's diplomatic corps is being sent out on the same mission. So that there, there's this idea within the, the Kante, inside the prime minister's residence, that you can control not only what the kids in Japan see, but what the kids outside the world see, we'll see, and they'll have a better view of Japan and they'll be more friendly to us. So we won't have to face mm. that globalization issue. Yeah. Well, it's a very, very complex and complicated issue that's not detached from the revision of the Japanese constitution. Actually, the textbook issue resides just below, in terms of prominence, the revision of the constitution and the the um, non-aggression clause that's contained in Article 9. Yeah, but in this case, with, with the textbook issue uh, and education in general, it's something that the, the government, as, and particularly Mr. Abe and his big friend, and the Minister of Education, Mr. Shimomura, mm -hmm. uh, this has been something that they can actually do. You can't touch the Constitution, not yet, mm -hmm. not until maybe 2016 when the new, next House of Counselors election rolls around. But education laws, standards, the screening process, they're in charge of it. Mm. And they're making the changes and they're making the, these decisions. And in the case of the education the screening process, what, it wasn't so much World War II issues that got, that got the government in a little hot water. It was territorial issues. Mm -hmm. It was definitions of where Japan is. Mm. And... You'd say, what's, what's the big deal? Well, in, it's a kind of a technical argument, but they, they, until now, certain textbook publishers have been saying that there are territories 
either administered by Japan or claimed by Japan, where the sovereignty is fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the Northern Territories, as they're called here, mm -hmm. the Southern Kuril Islands, where, which, is, which are occupied by Russia. Uh, Takeshima, Tokdo, which is an island occupied by South Korea. Uh, they emphasize that it's not occupied by military forces, it's occupied by policemen, so it's an internal affair of, of, of South Korea. So don't you think that you have any jurisdiction here? The Senkaku Islands in the south, where there's the fight with, with, with China and a little bit with Taiwan. Taiwan doesn't press, but it does have a claim on those islands. Mm -hmm. Until now, Japanese textbooks, at least some of them said, these are areas where there is... It's gray. It's a gray. This is the where, where there's, there are, there's a question of sovereignty. This year from now, this year and from now on, all textbooks in Japan have to say, these are integral parts of Japan. They are inherent parts of Japan. And when you say inherent, that means if somebody else is controlling them, you are taking away the, the heart of Japan. You're taking away the, the mm -hmm. very... A piece of Japan. It cannot be alienated. It cannot be given away in a political deal. And mm. and for a lot of people, that's crazy because right. there's no way that Japan is going to get from Russia all four islands that it wants back. There is no way that those policemen on Takeshima, Tokdo, are going to ever leave. There's going to have to be some day a prime minister who says, "It's done. They're there. There's nothing we can do about it." We have to just give up. No, we're never going to give up. We're ne these are, this is inherent territory. Mm -hmm. And that, for, that was uh, an interesting decision by the Monbusho and Mr. Shimamura and Mr. Abe ultimately. And it's a political decision. Mm -hmm. It commits Japan to fighting forever for those territories. Mm -hmm. But don't you think politically then it has spillover to people and organizations that may want to do business in Japan? Are the Japanese, my counterparts, are they going to be this sort of stubborn on other issues, mm -hmm. on negotiations, in joint partnerships, whatever it may be? You don't want to have the impression that you can't be flexible. Right. And so if this is a done deal, it just seems like an enormous amount of energy to put into what are going to remain in dispute, islands, yeah, right. and, mm -hmm. for, and increasingly international, uh, Michael Dukakis, a few weeks ago I went to hear him, he started out by talking about the islands and saying, sort of, can we move on to something else? Because the outside image is that it's kind of much ado about nothing, and mm. of course it may not be to other people. But in a larger context, with so many challenges here, it looks like much ado. It looks, it looks like there's an obsession going yes, on. Yes, uh, and again, it, we don't. Do you like people who obsess over one issue? No, nobody mm -hmm. likes that person. You go the other direction. You don't like countries that do that too. That just mm -hmm. can't seem to get beyond. It's well, and it's a national branding issue for Japan specifically. Yeah, because one of the great things about Ja the Japanese brand is this propensity for reason and propensity yes. for keeping things cool and calm. Mm -hmm. That has supposedly been the Japanese way of doing things. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, be stubborn, be tough, but uh, but you know keep it cool, mm -hmm. keep it under the table, and be re and be rational. The but the current administration's not into that. Mm -hmm. They they look at 
the rhetoric of Chinese. Mm. They look at the rhetoric of South Koreans mm -hmm. and they say, we want to do that. Mm -hmm. We want to be, we're just, you know, why should we limit ourselves? Why can't we be as extreme, as volatile, as hot-headed as those countries and their patriots are? And they are. Let's, let's, be, let's face it. They're, they're extreme in their, in their statements. You know, we will invade the Senkaku Islands and take them and hold them with, and avenge the blood of 30 million Chinese. That kind mm -hmm. of, this refrain that we've been hearing for, for, for decades, <laughs> that kind of language is on the exterior and the Japan brand has always not been that. We're not right. that way. Yeah. If you hear that kind of hot rhetoric, though, that's the time to be reasonable and let those with that hot rhetoric just kind of dig themselves deeper mm. and deeper because it comes across as so extreme. There's no reason to try to mount something that's going to mirror that same kind of hot rhetoric. It just makes yeah. you look ultra defensive. Well, I can't think that... Japanese are really identified as being hot-headed no. or, or their rhetoric is, is really overboard. I mean... Um, but it's coming across, and we'll probably talk about... It, 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 it In a lot of the foreign media coverage, mm -hmm. increasingly, the, the opinion pieces that are written, the mm -hmm. outgoing German journalists that... Right. his Karsten Geremis. Yes, of, that got, went viral, and he was saying this is not the same... Japan that I came sure. to five, even five years ago. Mm -hmm. So that starts to play into what's going on here because the image is to be very reasonable and not to be so uh, mm -hmm. over the top with the emotions where there's a lot of trust there. Mm -hmm. And I would add too that the trust is such a great commodity now. The, the Pew uh, study the uh, opinion poll that was just released about U.S.-Japan relations coming at right before Abe's trip to Washington showed that the mutual trust is at very high levels between these two allies who were once ardent enemies. And so let's capitalize on that. That's what you do in nation branding is you really, you go for your you make your wins even bigger wins. And mm -hmm. then those things where you're going to end up chasing your tail, you got to let those go. But it's hard for the, the prime minister. He looks at his polls yeah. of the cabinet, historically high, mm. and he, he, he has the right to ask you, what am I doing wrong? Right, mm -hmm. right. You know, look, well, at what happened, no, look, what, look what happened in the last elections, no he says. competition, though. I mean, we have put all our eggs in one basket for Abe. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, how am I doing? Well... Who is waiting in line to replace that's, you? It's, we've got yeah. all our faith in that's you a, That's now. too reasonable. That's <laughs> too reasonable an answer. Uh, no, because, but it's true. Okay. I'll be unreasonable. I'll read from the textbook. But, but, his, but from his point of view, you know, yeah, he sees it in, in those terms as, I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in historical terms, he is. Uh, there's a, there's a, a real stubbornness and an anger in him. And... I remember two years ago uh, when he said something intemperate in, in, in the Diet, and uh, his big friend, uh, Mr. Amari, the economics minister, said in, in an interview, well, you know, we, we consider Abe our, our hot-blooded youth. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and he sometimes says things off the top of his head. Uh, 
soon after that, uh, Mr. Amari was diagnosed with, with tongue cancer. Uh, uh, whether that had anything to do with what he, he had really said. He really was, literally. That's, that's oh, yes, sad. Yeah, yeah. But no, he, no, he, came, no, he, he, he had... I mean, you'd think that would be the, the end of a politician, but he, he did have, he had treatment and he's, he's back in his oh, ministerial okay. position. Oh, he's fine. Mm, great. Now, it seems to be in remission, but uh, that was a, perhaps a cheap aside. But nevertheless, <laughs> the, this idea of, of, the, of Abe, uh, Abe is a hothead <clears throat> mm. and he's doing great nonetheless. Mm. You, can't, you can't fault him for thinking, so what? Well, well, the confidence is great. And again, mm -hmm. going to Washington with that confidence and Japan is back and that theme, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope it goes very well for him. And I know they've, they've put a lot of advanced people there in Washington because this really... It's a, it's it's a, a big, big trip. Yeah. yeah it's yes. the first time that a Japanese prime minister will be addressing Congress. Mm -hmm. Right. And who would have dreamed that it would be Abe? I know. Mm -hmm. You know that 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 was Mr. Hot-headed Youth. Mr. Hot-headed Youth. I can tell you very clearly that that uh, Korean American uh, lobbying groups are absolutely pounding on the doors oh. of Congress and have been for weeks. At, for the at, peanut gallery. Well, they're just trying to. They are. They are. They're saying, how can you? have invited him, oh, wow. how can you, you know, what are you going to say? We are your constituents, mm. this is what we think of Japan, and that of course has galvanized certain members, not many, of the Japanese American community mm. to, to put on their best face, saying mm -hmm. why are you being, you know, ethnically prejudiced against us, what, you know, it's been, last time, we were all Americans here, mm. first of all, and what, that fight you're talking about happened 70 years right. ago. Mm -hmm. You've been in an independent country, get off of it. Right. And and it's 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 an excruciatingly divisive process, and here comes Abe. Yes. Mm. Well, he has to roll out the red carpet for him, he's he, the PM. But he is a man on a mission, isn't he? He's a man on a mission, he wants to revise the Constitution, he wants to make Japan a proud nation, he wants people to have patriotism, and he wants to move forward. Their favorite statistic, absolutely favorite statistic is the, the cross-country comparison on one question. Are you willing to fight for your country? Mm. Japan always ranks dead last. Yep. In, in, and if you think about it reasonably, if you don't have an army and you don't have conscription and you don't have people and you don't have, you have such strict gun laws that most people have never even seen a right. loaded firearm, you would think, yeah, probably most people would not want to fight yes. because they wouldn't know which end of the gun to point at anybody. Sure. But what uh, about serving your country, though? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's the not Kennedy the word they use. They, they use the word fight. That's not uh -huh. the same thing. They use the word fight, and at that point, Japan ranks dead last, and that's what conservatives point at. They say, look, if we're ever in trouble, we're going to be absolutely overrun. We well, don't that, have a citizenry that's patriotic. But that was the whole deal when, when the Americans came in, when MacArthur came in with the, the Allied forces, and they set up shop right down here across the street from the palace. Yeah, there were 500,000 Americans yes. here at that time. Wow. Right, and the deal mm -hmm. was, you guys are going to accept this constitution, you're gonna have a clause that renounces war as a way of practicing diplomacy, and we're gonna take care of you, we're gonna provide this umbrella, and you're gonna be friends with everybody again, and it quite hasn't clicked. And I think the reason why it hasn't clicked is because, number one, the textbook issue is still there. It's a sensitive issue, there are taboos. Don't talk about the comfort women, don't talk about Unit 731, don't talk about Nanking, don't talk about any of these issues. You're talking about all those. Well, yes, now it's, it's, <laughs> it's not as taboo to talk mm -hmm. about them. And in fact, they have risen up 
in and textbooks. And they're in the textbooks. They are in the and textbooks. And they want to get them out. Yes. That's the thing. They, mm -hmm. want, they want to have a version of history that paints Japan as being a noble and normal country. We were helping these people throughout uh, Asia. Okay, that, that may be three or four revisions down the line. Right yeah. now, it's just get out the, part, the, 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 the black marks mm -hmm. so that it's, it's a nice beige color. Mm -hmm. It's a, a beige history. <laughs> a pure white history is something they'll work on later. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, you know, if you say, I don't know why they don't brand the self-defense forces the way that, and I've told some people, I would really promote if they could T-shirts, hats with the self-defense forces logos on the. Oh yeah. Because yes. and because they really have been like a service. Yes. Army and force, and that is very attractive to young people around the world. It reminds me of the Bundeswehr shirts. You still see celebrities wearing those today. Mm -hmm. The way that the German <laughs> army changed its image, and it became very cool and hip to wear the Bundeswehr T-shirts. Not very cool and not very hip. Well, they have nice anime characters. They, they do. Prince Pickles. But they're not, you know, so if you did have something about comfort women, then you could also include a section. Maybe that's an option for these books. Well, if you can mm -hmm. add for some balance, okay, we'll let you have that chip. But that, but, the, you, but, but he, he said Wagagun, and, and what, that, what that's a refer, reference to is Abe, uh, in a mistake, we'll put, we'll put, scare quotes around that, Yes, uh, said in diet session, rather than saying self-defense forces, said, our army. Right. Oh. Yes. And our army, our military forces, and... A slip of the tongue it that was... A was... Uh, somehow not a problem, according to Mr. Suga, the chief cabinet secretary, and a big problem, according to a lot of other big people. Big problem, yeah. And, but it... That, that's, that's part of the reason why they don't promote the, the SDF as much as they should, because it's not what we want. It is not supposed to be an army. Yeah. It's not supposed to Yeah, it, have And it's not yet an army, and we're going to make it one. Mm -hmm. well, Self-defense forces. And I think that's a very bad idea mm -hmm. to make it an army, because it's going to change the whole mm -hmm. brand image of Japan and the world. Well, mm -hmm. I think that's part of the, the motivation. I mean, uh, the prime minister, as a long line in a long line of, of prime ministers wants Japan to stand on its own. It wants to be able to project its own influence and power throughout the region and throughout the world. And in certain aspects, it does. I mean, it has great brand imaging. It, it sure it uh, commercially, it, Keep um, it non financially, um, it used to be doing very well. But yeah, nonviolence. I think they're known throughout the world as being a nonviolent nation. You can live here in Japan for decades and never see a fist fight. Don't yeah. you think that's a big part of the, the cell here? Mm -hmm. Oh, it sure is. Yes. For short-term visitors or even people. It's safe. Yeah. It's, uh, it's clean. Yeah, but for 75 to 85% of the LDP members of the diet, it's an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. That's not the Japan Okay, what they percentage want. are they in the entire population? That's what, that's what everybody says. You're just a <laughs> tiny fraction. You're mm -hmm. just a tiny minority. Unfortunately, the, the current... The, I mean, the Abe has absolutely no rivals ideologically within the party. Everybody is bowing in his direction. It would, it, and, and, you know what the equivalent would be? Would be Hillary Clinton being the spokesperson for the United States. I know she was Secretary of State, but now she's running for president, just announced. So it would be our sort of deferring to her, whether she's in Chipotle when mm -hmm. she's not on I-95 going to Iowa. You heard about her little <laughs> yes. trip. Um, but 
I don't want any public figure, even though they like to probably aggrandize their importance, where are the voices of the Japanese people, including people who are the diplomats, the mm -hmm. ones I've met who are so impressive, and yet you wouldn't know them by name mm. because they are often in rotation and going to live abroad. And they are wonderful representatives for Japan, but their voices are rather silent in comparison to these LDP party members who, who get a platform, they get the megaphone. Right, now that brings up the, the big ch uh, story of this week politically, which was the result of the first uh, round of local, of local elections. Not only was a big win for the LDP, okay, fine, but more importantly was that across the board, with a few exceptions in a certain prefectures, record low voter yes, turnout. Yes, that's right. And record low voter participation due to races where there was no opposition. 30% mm -hmm. of the, of the, of the uh, um, LDP members of prefectural assemblies that were awarded seats, 30% of them one th were awarded seats without an election. Mm -hmm. it's, there was no one no, opposing. No competition. There was no competition, okay? 20% of all seats were handed out, one-fifth were just handed out because there was no opposition, there was no election held, the person just continued. So yeah. I bet they still had parties, though, declaring their victory. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. They yes. declared a big victory. But, that, but, gets, <laughs> yeah. but also, you know, voter turnout was lowest ever overall, and it shows that you're talking about other voices. Unless the Japanese people use their votes to register their voices, People like Mr. Abe will say, I'm good. Hey, I'm good. We won the election. We obviously we are the we are the representatives. Of course, there's a huge majority. Only about 40% of the, the electorate voted <laughs> in, in the places where they had the elections, mm -hmm. you know, on average. So 60% didn't. The majority of people didn't. Their voices will only be heard if they show up at the polls, right. and they won't. Well, the, the LDP traditionally does well in that kind of circumstance where the, the voter turnout is low, where it's been a rainy day, well, that well, sort of all, thing. There are three parties that do well in that. The Kometo, because it, its voters vote religiously, literally vote religiously. The, the communists, the mm -hmm. communists because they have, yeah. no, well, they have ideologically committed sure. voters. And the LDP. Motivated. So each, all three of those have machines, and they all did great on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the communists did the best of any party. Mm -hmm. They they blew past their previous numbers. They now have representatives in every prefectural assembly, which has never happened oh. before. Uh, turnout is crucial for those three parties. Any other parties, and and the parties that up, up, try to appeal to voters through ideals, through we represent. A future for Japan. If the voters don't show up, yeah. those floating voters right. that are attracted by ideals parties, mm. you know, the ones that are in, in, that are normally politically passive or inert, and they get excited when someone has a message, rather than mm -hmm. you know, in the case of the LDP, it's always client-patron relationships. You know, mm -hmm. I when you're going to get a government contract for my company, my employees are going to vote for you. That mm -hmm. kind of deal. Okay, they'll do great if the voter turnout is low. Well, you know, and I vote, I, I, I don't vote in these elections. I'm saying that non-voting is a vote, though. Mm -hmm. 
It is a sign of apathy. Complacency. It could be anger. Maybe, maybe it's complacency at times, which could be okay. That's well, judgmental towards the people. You know, right. You're, yeah. <clears throat> but it's still troublesome to think that there's really not an outlet, even in other respects, for people to raise their voices. Mm -hmm. And it, with that kind of low-level commitment you know, on, on a civic level, <coughs> we, we have this real problem of getting back to the textbooks issue. You know, who, who is, what is the legitimate voice of What's Japan? the story? What is the story? Yeah. Right. Who speaks for Japan? And Abe and company say, we do. Mm -hmm. We won the election. We, are the, we, get to be the, we get to be the ones who choose. Well, then I'm going to have to call my book Telling Japan's Official Story <laughs> to the World. There's your title. Yes. And I'll put official in parens. It'll be a protest parens. But if that's really, if that's going to be the legitimate story, because that was the issue I always had with Telling America's Story. Mm -hmm to the world, the USIA motto, hmm. that can be an official one too, that plays into US foreign policy, hmm. military objectives, or, and yet you have an image of America of great diversity and differences of points of view. You have the image of Japan as being a democracy with different points of view, and that it it should be registering that. It shouldn't just be one mm. official story. Well, yeah. That's a belief that, that there's a shared values between Japan and, and, and the United States. And I, I'm going to go way off, uh, off the reservation on this one and bring up the recent death in Singapore of its, the founder uh, of the nation, Lee Kuan Yew. Mm -hmm. And if there was ever a country that reflected the psychology of a single leader, mm. it's Singapore, mm -hmm. officially. Mm -hmm. While the people of Singapore may believe one thing, the officialdom of Singapore enforces an international vision of Singapore ferociously. You know if you write anything about bad about Singapore, your, your paper, your, new, your blog, website, whatever, will get a message from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Singapore saying, these are the facts, this is the truth. And in the case of publications like The Economist, like Time Newsweek, they would enforce this by shutting off all subscriptions within Singapore for their magazine until the letter got published and the retraction was published as well, mm -hmm. right? And, and you, cannot, you, you cannot underestimate the influence of Lee Kuan Yew upon the thinking of East Asian leaders mm. In, 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 in really in China, but even for, Miss, for Abe and company. Here, you know, you can run essentially a one-party state. Mm. You can have elections, mm. but they're meaningless. Mm. The opposition is marginal and you don't have to listen to them. You can run an efficient, business-like country. You know, they dress in suits, they look, they, and they're extremely defensive. And they're armed to the teeth, mm -hmm. and the Singaporeans are. That's the kind of vision that has spread and, it, and is extremely attractive to conservatives in all of the countries mm -hmm. of the region. Wow. Well, the Singaporeans don't have the baggage that the Japanese do. That's right. And um, exactly. I liked your comment about uh, the prime minister going to Washington, D.C. to speak to both houses of Congress. And there's this, um, this idea that perhaps the Korean um, uh, community might 
want to have a voice about that. Mm -hmm. And the question all often becomes, why, why, why is there this bitterness? Why, why, after 70 years, how come this is the case? And I think a lot of people would say, look, um, a lot of horrible things happened. Just fess up. The, the German premier, uh, Merkel, was here uh, several weeks ago, and that was essentially her message. We, we made amends with France and, and with the, uh, the Jewish population, and we're back on track, and Japan, you should, you should kind of do something like that too and be friends with everybody. And I think the Japanese have a, a, a real reluctance to kind of confront that. Mm -hmm. And I think the, um, I don't know if, if um, it's, it's feasible, but a logjam could be broken um, by the prime minister asserting some sort of a, a comment or some sort of a, a philosophy about what what the true history was and the remorse that the the Koreans and the the Chinese and people in Taiwan and Singapore and the Philippines all feel this bitterness this long bitterness about what was what happened and why it had to happen and you didn't have to do it that way and you know I, I think it, what's needed maybe is a little bit of therapy to get across that forgiveness and, and having a forgiving spirit is actually, it really strengthens. Mm -hmm. It doesn't weaken. And I, I wonder about this all the time, why this is so difficult to make this, well, make multiple apologies, but not just one apology. And it, it must be a feeling that it will uh, take away strength. But yes. I mean, all of the research shows that having that forgiving spirit is really empowering and, and it makes people feel lighter and freer mm -hmm. if they let that go. You don't forget and you accept that every country has had dark chapters and there's, com there's complexity there. Even with the comfort women complexity it's mm -hmm. it, it, it and and numbers that we don't know and a lot of records that we don't have and you can quibble right about mm -hmm. the the facts and you can do that but at a certain point you have to put a, a period at the end and just say that we need to move together on this i'm curious what Merkel, any kind of response she got to that because it seems very reasonable and it reminds me of what michael dukakis was saying too mm -hmm. with that let's move forward let's collaborate more why isn't why aren't japan and china and korea yes working more and i think that the potential is there with the exchange of students with the number of visitors now and again, everyday people who aren't going to come together and have these debates the way that politicians do. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's two things there. Uh, and I'll, I'll, try to keep, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it short. I'm, I'm, no, I'm really curious about your, your take on, on it. This, in this case, uh, leaders are incredibly important. In the case of this year is not only the 70th anniversary of the end of the Pacific War and Japan's surrender. It's also the 50th anniversary right. of the establishment of diplomatic relations between the Republic of South Korea, mm -hmm. the ROK, the Republic of Korea, and Japan. And that was facilitated and almost, it was otherwise almost impossible by the fact that the South Korean president was the dictator Park Chung-hee, who was a former officer 
of the Japan Imperial mm. Forces, mm. and who spoke Japanese and who was, mm. was, was entirely within the Japanese Imperial tradition. Mm. It, was, it took everything in his power to suppress anti-Japanese rioting, martial law even, to establish the relations, and it, the Japanese side had to you know, shovel out a, a significant amount of money to do this. But it was a, a, a really a touch and go thing. Mm. And he could do it because he was both a dictator and also had the, the Japanese background. And also he had in his officialdom, many of whom had been trained in Japanese universities, he had a, a pro-Japan mm -hmm. lobby. Those things don't exist anymore between Japan and Korea. Huh. The, the, younger Japan, the younger Koreans speak English. They right. don't speak Japanese. That's right. Good point. Yeah. The, the, there is, and Park, the daughter of President of, of Park Chung-hee, his, his daughter is now president, she has to repudiate her father's legacy yeah. because, you know, he was an imperial Japanese forces officer, you know, and, and, and I'm not like that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a purely Korean person. That, that makes it impossible for her to act. And Abe is himself. And then we have Xi Jinping, who is also a princeling. They're all princelings now mm -hmm. in East Asia. And the president of the Philippines is a princeling as well. All these different princelings have legitimacy issues mm. and, and having to fight for their image. Now, Abe's been in power for two years. And it's, you can argue quite reasonably that at least the Chinese side has finally come to the realization this guy's good for a few more years at least. And we have to deal with him. There's been a, a real thaw in the last few months. Mm. They're starting to talk about summits. They're talking yeah. about foreign ministers meeting and other ministers meeting, which was absolutely forbidden during the first two years because, you know, Japanese prime ministers don't last. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This guy's not going to be around. We don't have to deal with him. We'll ignore him. Mm -hmm. That change is happening, clearly. But it's only right now on the Sino-Japanese side. You're not seeing it yet on the, mm. part, the, the South Korean side. And, and let's face it. President Park, her her rating, her popularity ratings are in the, you know, they're in the tank, mm -hmm. mm. and so she doesn't have any political capital. While mm. Abe, with his high ratings, and Xi Jinping, who's basically become the new Mao, he's mm -hmm. absolutely wiped out thousands and thousands of possible rivals through this anti-corruption purge that he's done. Those two can deal. They mm -hmm. can talk to each other as equals, and they can make those sacrifices and make those changes mm. to the way things are done. Mm. Mm. Maybe I'm talking too much about leaders, but I think that maybe there are social forces that I should be paying more attention to. For but some I reason, see... I'm getting an image of Reagan with Gorbachev. Uh -huh. I don't know why. Yeah, but... don't, yeah. <laughs> right. May, people who have backing, who have legitimacy, yeah. and all three of them, of the, the, the members of the triangle all started out at the same time, mm. right? Mm -hmm. They were all brand new. Mm -hmm. So when Abe was starting out, she was starting out, and Xi Jinping was starting out, and all three of them were, had to establish their, their bona fides. Mm -hmm. Now, President Park hasn't. She, we had the one-year anniversary of the Sewol disaster oh, yeah. this week, mm. you know, and people just get reminded, boy, things really have got gone well under her. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, <laughs> So she can't make those deals. So I think we're going to see, if we're going to see anything, it's going to be between Beijing and Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're seeing movement there. Um, Yohei Kono took a delegation last week. They left from Okinawa. They went to uh, Beijing. They had a trade delegation. He took lots of uh, business and, and political leaders with him. Mm -hmm. And I think he got a good reception 
precisely because of his comments when he was Speaker of the House about the comfort women issue. Mm -hmm. He actually made a, a comment right. about the, the existence Kono of that. The Kono statement. The mm -hmm. Kono statement, right. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result of that, he received uh, a great reception. He received good access. And I think uh, from reports I've heard, the delegation went uh, extremely well. Yeah, and the, the other side of it is, it, is the money. Mm -hmm. uh, this spring, according to people who live in the Kyoto area, the place is absolutely overrun with Chinese tourists. Oh. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. uh, and frequently now, even here in Tokyo, you can't escape it right. here in Tokyo. The, the, in Tokyo, the the, the amount of Chi the, yeah. the amount of Chinese that you hear on the street is a lot more than just two years ago. Right. Uh, the fall in the price of the yen has made this a great tourist location mm. for them. Mm. And no matter what the the official line is, uh, this line is going very well for the <laughs> Japanese side. And now there are constituents. <laughs> There is a constituency saying, don't mess up this deal right. that we've got going because there are tens of millions of them in line waiting to come here. Wow. That's right. Well, there was a, uh, a travel ban that was in, uh, put in place with, uh, it wasn't Taiwan, it was uh, one of the other countries where too many people wanted to come to Japan and they just didn't have enough flights. They mm -hmm. put a, a kind oh. of a, um, a blanket on on. You know, too many people are going. You don't don't take all the money out of the country. But uh, yes, Japan rates very high as a shopping destination, as a tourist destination, and I think that's why this is a burning issue for us. It's not just about textbook textbook issues. It's about self censorship. It's about it's about papering over some unfortunate things of the past. When when the the environment is ripe for the prime minister actually to take charge to to exercise leadership and to say something that could really just open this this whole um, this whole economy up and I think that that's what is really necessary yeah he, he talks all the time about putting the post-war regime behind us mm -hmm. okay great do it yes. yeah yeah let's live it Let, let's sure. let's go for the cash yes you know don't don't get hung up on these history issues Say the words that the, the, the Chinese and the South Koreans want to hear, and then just go to the cash register and wait for them to come. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. We've resolved it. <laughs> Before we wrap up, um, let's just talk about the specific issues that come up from time to time that are, and in many respects, have been issues of, they're taboo. You're not supposed to talk about them. You're not supposed to criticize, you know, the, the government's, interpretation of what these events were. And there are about eight or nine of them. And if we can just talk about what those were so that people who are watching this, uh, this podcast or listening on, on iTunes can reflect on these issues that actually happened. And the issues are not that they happened or they didn't happen, but just the interpretation of what their impact is. Okay, can I uh, can I uh, can I offer the views? Recuse yourself. Can I uh, no? Can I offer my the, the possibility that there are a lot of people who want to violate that view? Mm -hmm. Let's let's take okay the nuclear restarts issue this week got a huge big knock in the teeth from a judge in Fukui Prefecture who stopped the who says that issued an injunction the first injunction ever by a district court in Fukui. That's how rare these things are. Mm -hmm. uh, and it issued an injunction saying you cannot restart the nuclear reactors even there. Though, even though the commission said it's safe. Yes, even though the, the official commission said it's safe. The government says the commission says it's safe. That it means it's safe. It doesn't matter what this court says. But sorry, 
it, it, he, an injunction has been filed. That's okay. one. Abe today, right now, is meeting with the man he was never going to meet, which is the governor of Okinawa, mm. the new governor Onaga. Mm -hmm. He had he was not the building of the Henneko replacement facility for Tenma is going to go forward. It doesn't matter what the new governor says. I'm and we're not going to meet him. Well, guess what? He, you don't get to to dictate the way the world is. Mm -hmm. And darn it, he had to meet him today, and he's meeting him. There'll probably be some statement like there was an exchange of views and there was a different <laughs> of views and nothing has changed. Right. But of course, everything has changed mm -hmm. because the, the government stonewalling is over. So that's my two for the week. Well, the prime minister is very busy because he's got two other meetings that he has to go to. Or maybe it's one with Asahi and NHK. Ah. That's scheduled for today, too. Mm -hmm. Please present yourself so that you can explain to us why these um, issues have been reported in, on your... Hodo News Station. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I want to stay away from that because I'm, I'm sort of agnostic. I mm -hmm. know that, that uh, in the case of NHK, that a lot of programs uh, do fake, and this is the, and this is the issue in the, in the NHK program, the, their most uh, left-leaning program, uh, Gendai, uh, put on a broadcast where there was there was a scene that was supposedly shot through a window of a broker meeting someone and there was some shady business being done. And it turns out it was all faked. And, oh. and that, this, the, the, that the person who was in the, in the video was actually involved in making of the story. So it was all just, it's called yarase. Mm -hmm. But a lot of Japanese television does that. I mean, if you, if you try to... It's like handing out speeding tickets at the Indianapolis speed right. Motor Speedway. You, 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 everybody does it, these faked news exclusives. But they're going after this one program because it is so critical. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with Hodo Station, That's the TV Asahi network, mm -hmm. where the... I am uh, Abbey. Yes, the, the, uh, the commentator uh, went on air and said, I'm being fired here because I say thing, bad things about Abe. And the announcer had to argue with him, saying, no, you're being fired for other reasons, but you can't, we're not going to have this conversation right now. And, and the government wants to know, well, how did that little scene happen? Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Which has sent, you know, your favorite, the chilling effect right. on what you can you say and what you cannot say. That would be my issue, just the overall chilling effect and the way that a lot of uh, journalists, both domestic and foreign, feel that things have changed under the Abe administration. There isn't as much dialogue taking place mm -hmm. as there was perhaps with the DPJ. At one time, there seemed to be more, there were more briefings, and also there was a recognition of what the role of the journalist is in society, in a democratic society. And the, the feeling, the sentiment now, especially the international press, is that that's been, those doors have really been closed. And so mm -hmm. when you close those doors, you then, the, the whole information abhors a vacuum, you fill that in then on your own with conjecture. And you sort of turn people maybe into more of the bad guys than they really are. So the idea of the transparency in government is, hey, come and take a look, kick the tires, see how yeah. we're doing. So there, there just seems to be a breakdown in trust there. And that's why I wrote a paper about even NHK and its role in public diplomacy, whether it 
views it as such or not, and and Momi's leadership, mm-hmm. and there have been some bumps along that that path too. Um, it, I wish that they had a stronger journalistic architecture here. Mm-hmm. What also is there is that it makes even good things look insidious. Mm. For example, there's this program now that the Japanese government has put together of funding the translation of books that are printed in Japanese because so few of them are translated on their own. Oh, right. The yeah, non-fiction right. books. Right. Uh, fiction books, to a certain extent, manga, of course, a yes. lot of them translated. But non-fiction books about Japan aren't. Now, okay, that sounds great. Great. But because the same people who are in charge of that program are also the ones who are pushing on Asa- Asahi, pushing on NHK, it looks as though oh, the message will be one way. Mm-hmm. We tell you what Japan is. Mm-hmm. We, t- we select the 50 books that get translated. We will distribute them around the world, and they will, that will be, we will have control over that. It looks that way. Mm-hmm. And so even a, a, what might be a really good program, it, it looks like evil. But mm-hmm. we don't know the, the, what the books are, because I've only been reading in the Wall Street Journal and some other some reportings about the translation that's taking place, but I don't know what those books mm-hmm. are. So they've I'm had, wondering they've released, too. They've released a list of a, a short list okay. of other things, and, and they're really, not necessarily. It's really innocuous stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. I which, see. Which again, you could say it's innocuous. So they're trying to present a whitewashed yeah, view. Yeah, right, the, the, right. The, the, the hall of mirrors. Mary had effect. a little lamp. <laughs> yes, that's right. They're put, they're, they're, but then, you know, anything. When once you start instilling in journalists and in commentators and in public opinion molders a sense that you're out to get them than anything yeah. you do. We're a tough crowd. Yes, very tough. Anything <laughs> you do, they will re- re- reinterpret in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And it becomes just a self-perpetuating cycle. Well, with that, I think we'll just wrap up this portion of our conversation. We're not going to solve all the problems, but I think the whole purpose and the whole thrust of Tokyo on Fire is to create a dialogue on these issues that could bear with a little bit more discussion, a little bit more openness, a little bit more exploration. And I think uh, as, as uh, foreign observers, as people who live here or people who are connected to the Japanese economy and participate in Japanese society, we don't really participate in the Japanese politics, but we analyze it for people who, who are observing and who acknowledge that it, it does have meaning for us, that um, perhaps um, in, in, in a dialogue more people will, will come to terms with it. And, Hopefully, it'll, it'll move the process forward. Uh, we're not going to solve all the issues, but if you have uh, questions or concerns, you'd like to share your, your comments with us, we'd be happy to receive them. You can send them to us at comments at tokyoonfire.com, or you can tweet them to us at hashtag tokyoonfire. Also, uh, the podcast is available on iTunes and on YouTube, and with YouTube, there's a dialogue box. You can provide your comments there. And hopefully, if there's enough commentary that that is shared, we can talk about the comments in the next episode. So to transition back out, um, uh, I'd like to talk just briefly uh, about what's going on in contemporary Japanese politics, what's going on in society right now that that grabs your attention, that you're working on now, that is maybe a potential topic of Tokyo on Fire in our next episode. And I'm just curious what's consuming you, Michael. Well, right now I'm looking a lot at leadership, and I'm looking at you know this this mystery of, of Abe, where his policies are opposed by the people, mm-hmm. and yet 
the cabinet's personal uh, and his personal popularity are very high. And I just can't get those two things together. I don't know how they work, how people can be against the restart of nuclear reactors, ag against the collective security revision that has been proposed. All these issues, there's just one after the other, the, the majority of the people are against it, and yet 51% or more of respondents, voters say, yeah, let's go keep this guy and keep, let's keep this cabinet and this is great, let's mm -hmm. keep going. I just don't get that at all. But so what, what's your sense of it? What's your hunch? Because it's like I said earlier, this persona of strength and confidence, you don't think that that I mean, it, I just remember Reagan very well. I couldn't stand his policies, but I'll never forget my brother when I was living in Europe where he was Reagan and his policies were very unpopular. My brother was writing to me saying, he makes us feel really good again about being Americans. Mm -hmm. We're not always the bad guys. So I wonder if that's part of it. And that's a leadership issue. And the credit, it, it sounds like Abe really does study other leaders mm -hmm. uh, and and what has worked. And he is Abe 2.0, don't forget. That's right. Very different guy, as you say, two, two and a half years in office. We have wiped out the first term, it mm -hmm. seems, where it was a really troublesome exit, mm -hmm. personally, professionally, health-wise. So he's a renewed guy. Yes. And people like that kind mm -hmm. of confidence. I think if it spills over into arrogance, if it gets to that, it is going to then have some pushback. But it goes back to even with the ISIS hostage situation. I would have thought that that could have really damaged him personally. Boy, was I wrong. No. Mm -hmm. Calvinized his, him. Yes, yes it did. It did. Right. Well, he's, he's definitely a, a different person, a different leader. Uh, he projects himself differently when he has his press conferences, when he speaks in front of the diet. He has, he has power. His voice carries. He, um, he has conviction. Um, he stumbles from time to time. Uh, he goes a little bit off, off the script, um, thinking perhaps that ad-libbing is a good thing. It shows my personality. It shows how in control I am of the facts, but it doesn't always work. But um, I think he's a leader with, with great legs. I think he will be around for a while. And uh, the hot buttons for me this week, for the last couple of weeks, and increasingly as, as we get closer to uh, summertime, are um, his appearance and his speech uh, in the United States, in Washington, D.C., when he speaks to, to both houses of Congress, what he says and what he does around that time that he's, he's in Washington, D.C., and he's in the United States. He's not staying just in Washington, D.C. He's making a couple of other side trips, and those will be very important, too. The second thing that has me um, uh, increasingly um, occupied is the uh, statement, his statement, and the statement from the emperor on the, um, on the anniversary of the end of the Pacific War. Uh, those are very, very important, and one of the reasons why we chose today uh, the textbook issue. Why is it important? Why is it a burning issue? Because all of these things have a, have a um, uh, they collect and they, they, they project onto diplomacy, how they um, uh, form uh, different committees, what they say about the taxes, about a lot of different things. And so it's intensely interesting to me, and I hope it's uh, intensely interesting to our, our listeners and to our viewers. Um, we will continue this dialogue on Tokyo on Fire. 
Um, I want to thank you, Michael Chichek and Dr. Nancy Snow, for joining me. I'd like to welcome all of you viewers and listeners to continue to stay tuned. Download our podcast on iTunes under Tokyo on Fire, or you can go to YouTube, Tokyo on Fire. Please join us again next week. Thank you very much.